This morning, we are going to go a little deeper and a little further into the incredible blessings that Jesus obtained for us at the cross. Jesus died to bring us into a new and overwhelmingly better relationship with God called the New Covenant. Last week, we said the New Covenant really is the answer to all that is wrong with us. It really is the answer to all that is wrong with every human being. The New Covenant solves the problem of our sin. It solves the problem of our hearts that were prone to sin. The New Covenant is God's solution for human rebellion. It solves our problem of being estranged from God, from being alienated from God. It it solves the feeling that we are distant from God or alone or without God. Last Sunday, we saw that God has placed in our hearts the desire and the power to live for him. God said, I will write my laws in your minds and upon your hearts. He liberated our hearts through Jesus from their bondage to sin. And we delight now to do his will because God put that in us by his spirit. This does not mean that obedience is automatic, but it is natural. It is the most natural thing in the world for you to want to please God now because God himself has written that into your heart. Paul said, we are ambitious, or it's our ambition, whether at home or away, to be well-pleasing to him. That's the cry of a person born of God. And under the new covenant, that's yours. You need to recognize this desire in your heart and say, say with Paul, my one ambition in life is to be well-pleasing to him. Own that for yourself. You You can think that way and speak that way and live that way because God himself has written that desire and that power into your heart because he's made you a new creation. Now this morning we come to the second blessing of the new covenant, that is given to us in Hebrews chapter 8. God has, has come near to us. He's come to us, and he's brought us near to him in a special bond through Jesus. The God who created the universe, the God of the Bible, the God that we read about all throughout the Bible, the Almighty, the holy and loving God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. God has committed himself to us. God has committed himself to you without reservation, without restraint, without holding anything back. He says, I will be your God, period. Sam Storm said, God isn't just God. He's not just there. He is not simply all-powerful, infinitely kind, and gracious supreme being who created all things and upholds all things. We, what we rejoice in isn't simply that God exists. Rather, He is my God. He is your God. He belongs to you. That is what we rejoice in. 
Charles Spurgeon said, this is the masterpiece of all the promises. And the enjoyment of this promise makes a heaven below and will make a heaven above. You know, we've, a lot of us have read that book, Days of Heaven Upon Earth. Well, this promise, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's what makes heaven upon earth. This promise, I will be your God and you will be my people, is so grand that it has always been the ultimate promise of God through history. And it is the ultimate blessing of heaven. John said he heard a voice from God's throne say, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is one of the most repeated promises in the Bible. You may not realize it, but this promise is just plastered all throughout the Bible. If you read your Bibles very much, it's just everywhere. It was given to Abraham. It was given repeatedly to Old Testament saints. The prophets spoke of a time coming when this inseparable bond between God and his people would be a reality. And now the writer of Hebrews says, the fulfillment of this promise is for us, is for us who come to God or who draw near to God through Jesus. There will be a greater fulfillment in the new heaven and earth, of course, but this promise, I will be your God and you will be my people, is for us now. It's one of the four core promises that we were given of the new covenant here in Hebrews chapter 8. In the first part of this promise, God is saying to us, all that I am, all that I am, Savior, Helper, Father, Counselor, Defender, Shield, Healer, Redeemer, Refuge, and Friend, all that I am, I will be all of that and more to you. This is a promise of, of relentless faithfulness. God has eternally bound himself to us. And he has bound us to him in this eternal loving embrace. I am yours and you are mine. And as you live your life, as you face your trials or disappointments or grief, as you face your responsibilities, as you face sometimes overwhelming responsibilities or anxieties about work and family, or as you just face the mundane experience of everyday life. I mean, some days are just regular days. But still, God has this message for you. I will be your God. This word, this word from God is for you. This, this message from God, this word from God can make all the difference 
in your life. This message or this word from God for you can change your life. It can make you a secure person. It can make you a stable person. It can make you a fundamentally happy person. It puts a sense of well-being in your heart, a sense of security deep within you. It infuses your heart with peace. It removes fear and loneliness. It removes the sense that no one is there for you because God is there for you. He's committed himself. I will be your God. The second part of the promise is that we will be his people. We will be his special people. Even to Israel, God said, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples. So when God says, you will be my people, God is saying to us, not only that he, that he owns us, but, the, but that we're precious to him. I will take you as my own treasured possession and you will be in my loving care. That's what that means. Spurgeon said, people have their treasures, their pearls, their jewels, their rubies, their diamonds, and these are their special possession. Now, all, all of us in the covenant of grace are the special treasure of God. He values them above all things else besides. In fact, he keeps the world spinning for them. I love that. We are, we are the object of God's affection. He, he's chosen to take us to himself. And this is all ours because of Jesus. It's all ours in and through the work of Jesus. We come into this place of special love and care and attention through the blood of Jesus. Leon Morris said, when people have been saved at the awful cost of Calvary, they are the people of God in a way never known before. And so whatever you are going through, or no matter how great your need, he is your God and you are his. And you need to know this. We need to know this. We need to live in it. We need to feed our souls with the wonder of this. We need to drink in the truth of this promise. We need to drink in the love and the wonder of this promise. And we need, we need to let our hearts respond to this. We need to let our hearts soar because of this promise. And I've said this before, but one of the greatest blessings of my life is to get to prepare messages because, because I get to drink in truths like this. And I get to spend hours absorbing the wonders of things like this. And, and uh, it, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the thing that really fuels my, my happiness and joy in life. It's, it's the greatest thing in the world, really, to just drink in these as uh, Gurnell calls, uh, joy-producing realities. All right, now I want us to see how this new covenant promise that he is ours and that we are his solves our our root problem or, or our core problem of being far away from God and feeling far away from God. I want us to see how it solves our problem of 
at one time not belonging to God and, and therefore carrying around this vague feeling like we don't belong wherever we go. It solves our real problem of being detached from God or uh, Scripture says alienated from God and all, all the feelings that come with that. In our vocabulary, we have words like alone and lonely, orphaned, rejected, abandoned, desolate. We have words like that because human beings have feelings like that. And this is because of our alienation from God that came from Adam's sin and then from our own sin. When Adam was created, he was near God. And we talked a little bit about this last week. He experienced free and open fellowship with God. There was, there was friendship. They, talked and wa- they walked and talked together. There was communion with God and Adam and Eve in the garden. But Adam's sin caused a withdrawal of God's presence. He was, he was no longer in this bond with God. He was no longer near to God. And this separation was real for Adam, and it's very real for every human being who's ever lived. And separation from God is a part of being human. There's just something in the human soul that feels this separation. And I'm talking about even even lost, lost people. They might not know where that feeling is coming from, but they know it. There's a uh, there's a song, and I, I can't recommend it because I don't know anything. I really don't know totally the words, and I don't know the, the, the singer. Uh, and it's actually sung in Spanish, but I know, I know the title is Sola, or just Alone. And you listen to it, and wow, the plaintive cry of just alone just moves your, moves your soul. I mean, people, people feel that aloneness from God. And one of the phrases that is used in the Bible frequently to describe us in our lost condition, to describe us as Gentiles, is that we were far off or that we were far away from God. Ephesians 2.12 says, You must remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And just, I mean, listen to that description of what life is like apart from God. Listen to those words. Separate, excluded, foreigners, without hope, without God in the world. That describes the, the desolation, the loneliness of the human heart without God. And people experience those feelings even though they may not understand that they come from a very real separation from God that came, originated from Adam's sin, but again, continued on down through all of our sin. But the gospel is this. The new covenant message is this. But you... This is from Ephesians 2.13. But you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that is going to make this this incredible promise of this bond, this faithful, loving bond now that God has brought us into. It's the blood of Jesus that brings us near. 
that reconciles us and makes this possible. Acts 2.39, when it was, it's speaking about the, the, the promise of the Holy Spirit being, being poured out upon us. And it says, this promise belongs to you and to your children and to all who are far off, to all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. There you see it again. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for us who were far off, but now we are people that the Lord has called to himself. We're no longer far off. We've been called to the Lord himself. And so Jesus came, came to make a way for, for, for us who were far off to be near God, to belong to God, to belong to God and for God to belong to us. That's, and that's what we were made for. And we're, we are broken, dysfunctional, sick, and spiritually dead without this kind of relationship with God, without this faithful, loving bond with the God who made us. And this is what, this is what makes a, this promise of the new covenant, this is what makes this blessing of the new covenant that Jesus purchased for us with, with his blood so precious. But God, because of his great love, he began a, a rescue mission to reestablish nearness. And he actually did that in some way, at first through the law and through the sacrifices for sin and all that went with that. But that old covenant for as a means of having a relationship with God was always intended to be only temporary. And from before the world was made, God planned for, for us to be reunited with him in a better way, to use the language of Hebrews. God's always planned for us to be connected to him in a better way, in a perfect way through Jesus. Hebrews 7.19, for the law made nothing purpose, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So our, our very real problem of not being near to God, of not experiencing God, of not belonging to God is solved in Jesus and the new covenant. And G because Jesus came and through his blood, you remember he said, this cup, this blood, representing my blood, this is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus himself guarantees our never failing acceptance before God. Jesus himself guarantees our never failing intimacy with God. And he himself guarantees a never-failing bond with God. And, and nothing describes that nearness like these intimate words from God to us, I will be your God and you will be my people. So, so Jesus died to bring us into this I am yours and you are mine relationship with God. I want to look at a, a few other places in Scripture that this promise is made to help, I think, give a little fuller understanding uh, to all, all that this means. And one of those, surprisingly, is from Leviticus, chapter 26, 11, and 12. The Lord says, I will make my dwelling among you. 
and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and, we, and will be your God and you shall be my people. That's, that's the ESV translation. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and be your God and you should be my people. When the Lord says, I will be your God, he's, he's basically saying, I will come and live with you. I will come and make my home with you. God is saying, I'm going to move in with you. I'm going to come and dwell with you or live with you. And when someone comes and lives with you, when, when, you, when you make your home with someone, you, you settle down with that person, you, you live together. There's communion, fellowship. There's, there's a sense that you're comfortable together. This promise from Leviticus is repeated in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, where Paul said, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. He's, he's trying to get the Corinthians to realize that God lives inside of them, and they are, they are a temple of God. And so they should know that, and, and they should live with that understanding. And he quotes this verse from Leviticus, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so in this passage, Paul, in Corinthians, Paul emphasizes the idea that, that God has committed himself to be our God in such a way that, that we have become the, the temple of God. We've become the dwelling place of God. I mean, that's an amazing thing that God would so work in us that that well in, in one in one sense certainly together we are the dwelling place of God it says in he, uh, Ephesians two twenty two but also on an individual basis we are the temple of God we are the dwelling place of God so when God says I will be your God he means I mean he's 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 saying I'm going to come and move in I'm going to make my home with you I'm going to dwell with you I'm going to live with you that's what that's what he means. And then he says, and my soul will not abhor you. The contemporary English version says, I will live among you and never look upon you with disgust. Amen. I like that. The, uh, the I will not abhor you, that's from the ESV. Um, under the new covenant, God does not abhor you or despise you. Uh, through the perfect, this is beca it's because it's based on something, okay? Through the perfect reconciling work of Jesus, we are the beloved people of God. Amen. And by saying, by saying to us, by God saying to you that I, I am your God and you are my people, God destroys the idea that he doesn't like us or doesn't want us or that he's disgusted with us or that he abhors us. He destroys all those notions and feelings and emotions through that. He says, I, I, I don't look upon you with disgust. I don't abhor you. I want you for my own. I'm going to belong to you and you're going to belong to me. I want to be near you and I want for you to be near me. 
And so the New, the new, Testament, new Covenant prom, promise, it, it solves, it's not primarily to solve psychological problems. I'm not, I'm not preaching that, but it does solve a lot of emotional and psychological problems if people let, let it. If people really believe these things, it heals and solves a whole bunch of things about our lives. So the New, new Covenant um, promise certainly solves the problem that, of thinking that God doesn't like you or that he is, isn't interested in you or that he doesn't have time for you. No, God says, I'm going to come and move in with you and you're going to be mine. First Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. You are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. That's, okay, that's what we once were. We talked about that. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. I mean, that's the difference between not being saved and being saved. That's the difference between, between not being in the new covenant and being in the, in the new covenant. Once you were, were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once there was nothing special, actually the King James uses the word peculiar about you. You didn't belong to any, anyone or anything that gave you the sense of belonging or meaning or purpose or status but now you do. Now you have all that. But now you are God's own people. You are his special possession. And he uses all these terms to help us understand your, your chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's own people. He is yours and you are his. And to borrow a phrase from the Apostle Peter, these are precious and very great promises. Are they not? And, and yet we, we, we must be clear, um, particularly in a lot of the theology that's going around today or a lot of the way people present the gospel, we must be clear that this special relationship, this bond, this loving, faithful bond that we have with God is for those who draw near to God through Jesus. It is Jesus that makes possible this faithful, loving bond with God. It's offered freely, but it's only available through Jesus. It's only available to turning from yourself and your sin to Jesus and coming to know Him. We come to know this kind of relationship with God. So let's move on to some applications, although I kind of hate to say that because I, I always think that we should be applying everything that is said all the way throughout the message, but yet I want to kind of drive home a few things here at the very, very end. First application, and I kind of struggled how to word this, but I think it's really important and it might be the most important application. 
First application is let your heart respond to these things. Okay. I, I know you have to hear it and understand it. And you know, I've been praying all week that you know, God would just give us razor-sharp insight into these things, that God would just open up our eyes and just give us such a spirit of revelation that, that when he says, I am your God, it would just fall into our souls like fire and just move us and stir us. And I'm still praying that. But let your heart respond to these things. Uh, this is just a suggestion, but I actually think it's a pretty good suggestion. Why don't you go out this afternoon or go out sometime by yourself somewhere and just respond to, to God. Just respond to this promise. You know, God, just listen. Just listen. Let him say, Barb, I am your God and you are mine. I will be your God and you are mine. And then just say out, say out, just say out loud. Go somewhere by yourself and just say out loud, God, I love being yours, and I love having you for my God. God, you're so good. I just love it that you have said to me, I am your God. You know, if someone came up to you And I suppose it might matter a little bit who, who did this, but just go along with my example, okay, here? Just follow me. If someone came up to you and said, I love you, and I am your friend forever. I, I just love being around you. you know, how would you respond to that? You just kind of walk away with a dull expression on your face? Or, or would you say, wow, that, that really touches me. I mean, you'd respond with your heart, wouldn't you? If someone communicates that kind of love and interest in you, you'd say, wow, that really touches me. I, I, I deeply appreciate that. I love you too. And I think if these promises are real to us, we will respond in our hearts to God something like that. I mean, there'll be an actual response to God over these things. I mean, I know this is personal. It's inward. It's, 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 it has to do with our inner man, but I think it's so important. I mean, if, if these promises are, are not that real to you, then pray that God would open your eyes and make them that real, that you just, just want to go out and say, God, I love belonging to you, and I love it that you are my God. I love having you for my God. We should, we should think about this, this often. We should think about how privileged we are to be God's, God's own. How privileged we are to be God's own possession. You know, I'm not a whole lot for flower, flowery, is that what you say it? Flowery language, maybe, but <laughs> Spurgeon is very eloquent. And uh, in regard to this promise, he said, just, just go with me here on this, follow, follow this. It's, it's a little older English, but it's powerful. This, this promise, I will be your God, you'll be my people. He said, here is a deep sea of bliss. That means happiness. Yeah. And 
Here is a deep sea of happiness, a shoreless ocean of delight. Come bathe your spirit in it. Swim in it for an age. That means swim in it forever. And you shall find no shore. Dive throughout eternity and you shall find no bottom. I will be their God. Yeah. I, I'd say he was pretty moved by this promise. And you know, I'd, that's, that's how I'd pray that it would, that it would move and, and touch our hearts. Uh, third application uh, is just we need, to, we need to saturate our heart and our mind with the glories of the new covenant. Not, not just this one that we're talking about this morning, but with the, the whole new covenant message. Uh, we should know these truths of the new covenant backwards and forwards. Not only know them mentally, but we should know them in our heart and cling to them by faith even when we don't feel that good, <laughs> okay? Even when we're tempted or when we're downcast, uh, when we're discouraged with ourselves. And so I'm going to review them, all four of them again this morning. We did that last week. I'm going to do it this week. I might even do it again next time I, I talk on this. But first, these are the four new covenant blessings that Jesus died to give us through his blood that are expounded in the book of Hebrews. First, God has placed in our hearts the desire and power to live for him. The external laws of God were good, but our hearts couldn't keep them. Now God has written his laws into our hearts and upon, or in our minds and upon our hearts. And so we respond yes to God because of his work in us. We say, my ambition in life is to please the Lord, knowing that ambition to please the Lord is the work of God's spirit in us. Second, like what we talked about this morning, God has brought us near to him. He's committed himself to an intimate, faithful bond or relationship with us. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. So we, we, we drink in the truth of this promise, the love and the wonder of it. Three, we have been given first-hand experience of God. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Through coming to know Jesus, when we come to Jesus, the scales are removed from our eyes and we, we, we come to know God. We are each one given the gift of personally knowing God. And fourth, God has said, I will be merciful regarding their iniquities or their wrong deeds and I will never again remember their sins. So through the blood of Jesus, God will never remember your sins against you. He relates to us as if we had never sinned. So I pray that we would be a church uh, full of people who, who know these things and live in these things. And um, I encourage you to, to often think of, of these things. So this, the things that we've talked about this morning, all of them, uh, let, let this be the air that you breathe. Let this be the thought pattern of your mind. Let this be the meditation of your, of your heart. Let these promises of God frame your whole attitude toward life. Let the promises of God frame your whole attitude toward life. You know, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
points. As you em- it's, it's as you embrace these things in your mind and your heart that it, it has a power to, to transform you in an amazing, amazing way. All right, let's, let's pray. Let's stand and pray. Pam, you can stay seated. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, I'm going to pray, but please don't let it be only me praying. Let's all, let's all, let's, let's pray. Let's, you know, ask, cry out to God. Father, we ask you to do a great work in our spirits and our hearts here Now this morning, don't let us leave this room today, God, without radically awakening our minds and hearts to the blessings that we have in the new covenant, the blessings that we have bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus. God, open our minds and our hearts to receive these things, to respond to these things, to respond to you with with just overflowing gratitude and and delight in just responding back and telling you, God, we are so glad that you have told us that you will be our God and that we belong to you. We are, we're thrilled by that, Lord. We love living in that status, in that faithful bond with you. God, we're so grateful to you for that. And just open our hearts more and more to see the wonder of that, the beauty of that, the preciousness of that. And especially as we're going through things in life that take us down to rock bottom places that take us through the, the, the valley of deep shadows, Lord, we ask you, God, especially in those times, God, to awaken our hearts to the preciousness of, of this truth, this reality, this this bond that we have to you, that we are yours. We're never outside of your care. We are never outside of your watchful, loving care. We're never outside of this intimate bond which you have made for us. God, we just cry out together, and I invite you to, act, to cry out in your, at least in your heart. We just cry out together, God, help us to comprehend these things better and help us to live in them. Help us to live in realization of these things, we, we pray. God, transform us. God, I ask you to just do a mighty work this morning of transforming us by the renewing of our minds. God, we've, we have heard precious truths this morning from you, from your word from the revelation of Scripture. We have heard precious things, God, that have the power to transform us. And we ask you to do that as we, as we renew our minds and f- focus our minds on these things. God, let, let these truths that we've gone over this morning, let them, let them be the, 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 the air that, that we breathe. Let, let these promises frame the attitudes of our heart as we go through life and we go through our day. God, we want to be people who enjoy all these things that we have to enjoy through Jesus Christ. And this is not only my prayer, God. All of us together say...